All right. Good morning, everybody. We are so glad that you are here. I want to welcome you again to Hope. And if you are new, a special welcome to you. Maybe you're kicking off the new year and this is your New Year's resolution to come to church every week. That's awesome. If you've been away for a while, welcome back. We love it that you are here. There is a lot of excitement, a lot of energy, a lot of optimism, enthusiasm this time of year. As you saw in the video, it is New Year's time. There's a lot of, maybe some of you are making those resolutions and those goals and those plans for the new year. You're saying, this is, maybe this will be the year year that I'll finally fill in the blank, or this is going to be a year that I'll finally quit whatever it is, fill in the blank. And whether you have resolutions or not, I think every, every single one of us, when you walked in those doors this morning, you have an idea and a picture, obviously, of who you are, but you also have an idea and a picture of who you want to be. You have a picture of the man or woman of God that you want to be and what that looks like, and you make resolutions, we make goals, we have dreams and visions for our lives. Well, it turns out that we as a church have a resolution this year as well. We have a vision of what God is calling us to do in 2020, and it's a pretty audacious goal. And I want to share it with you today as we kind of kick off this new year together. And if you think about it, uh, it's a pretty audacious goal. We've done some pretty radical, audacious things in the past. I mean, you talk about in six weeks of Advent, uh, all of our campuses together, over 150,000 pairs of socks for our mission partners. Can we give God praise for that one more time? That is awesome. So cool. We've done some pretty radical, uh, radical things. Some of you are just thinking, oh, it's just socks. Well, can you imagine not having adequate shoes or socks for your family, and you're living in a third world country, you're living in one of these places that has been ravaged by natural disasters or war or famine or disease or whatever it is, that is a godsend for you to have something on your feet. So thank you for participating in that. But you think about even just the last five or 10 years as a church, we fed a million people in 40 days. We've, we've built churches in Ghana. We're building more churches in the Riverbend neighborhood here in Des Moines, partnering with Habitat for Humanity. All the socks that you gave, uh, the, the Christmas presents for over 50 families, uh, during Lent. We're going to fill every food pantry in central Iowa here in a month in our Super Bowl food drive. I mean, there's some pretty radical, audacious things that we've done, but dare I say, this might even be more radical and more challenging and more audacious of a goal than we've ever done as a church. You ready for it? Our resolution for this new year, our vision as a church is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. I know, some of you are like, oh, okay, like, are you kidding? Like, that's it? No, I'm not kidding, and that's it. And here's why it might be one of the most radical visions that we've ever had. It's rare. It's rare to have all your eyes and all your focus on Jesus, not on yourself and your own, you know, morality, your own goodness, not on what everybody else is doing around you or what seems to be popular. All eyes on Jesus, to keep your eyes fixed on him. This is why it's so radical is because it's rare. In a world that we live in that is full of distractions, countless opportunities, people, priorities that are vying for our time, it is rare to be focused on Jesus, to let him be the priority of your life. I was listening to a leadership podcast this past week that I listened to, and the guy was interviewing a, a kind of a world-class leadership consultant that works with a lot of Fortune 500 companies all over the country and works with kind of the, what does the new workplace look like and what are employers looking for? And one of the things that he said, in our world of constant distraction, what employers are looking for, he said, the new superpower is focus. Like, I'm talking about, like, Superman power, you know, like Batman, Spider-Man power. He said, in the workplace, the new superpower in this world that we live in is the ability to focus, 
to focus on one thing. He quoted another stat that the average person, this isn't people that like work on social media, this is like the average person touches the screen of their smartphone 2,162 times a day. A day. When is the last time that you were able to focus on something for an extended period of time? Focus is the new superpower, the ability to actually do what you believe is most important. That's not our issue. I think a lot of us know what our goals are, what we want to do, what we want to be most important in our lives. We just have a hard time making that the most important thing. So I'm not just talking about the workplace, but in a bigger sense, what would it look like to have Jesus be the one that gets the primary attention in your life? What would it look like in 2020 for Jesus to be the one that gets your primary affection? And when I say affection, I mean what you think about, what you dream about. When you're lying awake at night and you can't fall asleep, what are you thinking about? What's on the tip of your tongue that you can't wait to tell other people about? Is Jesus a part of every day? Is he a part of every decision and every, every relationship that you have? What would that look like in 2020? The author of Hebrews puts it this way. I love this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And with all of your New Year's excitement, enthusiasm, let's read it together. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. God's timeless wisdom for us today. This isn't from a blog or a podcast or something I read on Facebook. This is God's timeless wisdom. He says this to you at the beginning of this new year. There is a direct correlation between you running the race of life in the most abundant, life-fulfilling, satisfaction way possible. There is a direct correlation between that and keeping your eyes on Jesus. Not on you, not on what everybody else is doing, but on Jesus. And it happens to be our theme for 2020, all eyes on Jesus. Let's say that together. All eyes on Jesus. That's our goal. Now, you might be wondering, is that like, is that possible, John? Can I actually do that? Well, no, not this side of heaven. We're not perfect. But I would argue that nothing is worth pursuing more. This is a more important resolution than anything else that you're going to make. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I want to give you three big reasons why all eyes on Jesus is a great place to start in this new year for three main reasons. Number one, a renewed sense of purpose. Number two, a renewed sense of priorities. And number three, a renewed sense of power. So let's walk through those together. A renewed sense of purpose. Everybody say purpose. purpose. I was talking with a mentor several years ago, talking about as I was setting some goals for the next five and 10 years. And one of the things he just said as an offhand comment that I'll never forget, he said, John, if your purpose isn't bigger than you and meeting your needs, you need a bigger purpose. If, if, if your goals, if your resolutions this year are just for you and to make yourself happy, they're never going to fill you up. I mean, isn't that the reason we make resolutions and goals for the new year? I want to I lose weight. I want to eat healthier. I want to exercise. I want to stop doing this. Whatever it is, it's to make yourself happy. And that's fine. And I want you to do that. But I don't want you to lose sight of the eternal. I don't want you to live so small and self-centered that you're never going to be fully satisfied because your world revolves around you. You're never going to get filled up that way. Live big. Live big. There's a world-famous uh, architect uh, that was uh, kind of the focus of a, no a pretty famous novel several years ago, Daniel Burnham. And he wrote this. And I love, I love this quote. He said this. Make no little plans. They have no magic to stir the human soul. Make big plans. 
Aim high and hope and work, remembering that long after we are gone, it will be a living thing, asserting itself with ever-growing insistency. What resolution are you going to make? What are you going to do in 2020 that's impact is going to last beyond you? Great. You, got, you, got a, you, you, you lost some weight. You're eating healthier. That's all great. Please do those things. And sometimes they take little steps. But don't do that and not focus on the things that are actually going to bring you lasting joy. Jesus says the eternal things. Life is way too short to live small. And to have a small vision, ah, you know, I'm not, I'm not anything too important. I just got this regular old job in my family. God didn't create you to be ordinary. You are one of a kind. You are the only you we have. And God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And I don't say that flippantly. I don't say that lightly. He really does. And he's calling you to dream big. Not because there's anything amazing about you, but because of who our God is. Is. Jesus says, have your resolutions, but let me teach you how to live for the things that are going to last much longer. So why Jesus, number one in 2020, a renewed sense of purpose. Secondly, a renewed sense of priorities. Everybody say priorities. priorities. Everybody I talk to wants to get their priorities in line. Everybody I talk to seems like every other conversation is like, I'm just trying to find that balance, that work-life balance and get my priorities in line. And once again, God's word is super, super handy on this. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, let's read this together up on the screen. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. There is a way that you can shuffle around your priorities. There's a way that you can shuffle around your calendar over and over every single year and yet miss the point. Jesus says, I'm inviting you to seek me and my kingdom first because it's going to bring clarity to everything else. And this may burst your buzzle, bu bubble and this may rack your brain a little bit here this morning. But your primary calling in 2020, if you're a mom, is not to be a mom. If your dad is not to be a dad. If your husband or wife is not to be a husband or a wife. If your employee is not to be an employee. To be a friend is not to be a friend. Your primary calling in 2020, the focus of your life, is to be a follower of Jesus Christ and let that identity inform every other identity that you have. You want to be a great mom and a great dad and a great husband and a great wife and a great friend and a great employee and a great small group member, whatever it is, pursue Jesus with everything that you've got and you won't go wrong. Life is way too short to live for things that don't matter. Make Jesus the number one priority in your life. Let that inform everything else. A renewed sense of purpose, a renewed sense of priority, and finally, a renewed sense of power. Everybody say power. power. Oh, say it like you mean it. Say power. 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 Jesus gives us that power. Just a show of hands. Anybody keep your resolution from 2019 the entire year? Anybody just nail it? Okay. Had <laughs> somebody last service. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk to you afterwards, right? I think for all of us, we have this realization that maybe we're not as strong as we think we are, right? We have a, a realistic view of our weaknesses and our limitations, but we have all these things, the changes that we want to see. And it's funny to me, it's fascinating, and I don't, I don't want to just be Debbie Downer here this morning, but every year it's kind of fascinating to me when we get to December 31st and we're looking ahead to January 1st. We're all together, you know, you're at your New Year's celebrations and your parties, and you're counting down the minutes and you know, the hours, and you've got your glasses and you're clinking them together saying, here's to a new year and a new me, and everything's going to change on January 1st. And then you wake up on January 1st, it's like, well, things are pretty much the same, right? Nothing, nothing, a lot has changed here. And that's because there's nothing magical about January. 
okay? I hate to burst your bubble, right? There's nothing magical about the calendar changing. What difference does January make? Nothing. But what difference does Jesus make? Everything. Amen? Amen. Everything. Because he's the only one that has the power to overcome the things that you can't in your life. He's the only one that has the power to create that inside-out change to overcome the things you can't. You can try harder, okay? But that's not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus isn't try harder to be a religious person. Try harder to have good values and morals. The gospel is that Jesus wants to transform you from the inside out and have you surrender to the power of Jesus in 2020. You were created to be in a relationship with the God that made you, and that's where it has to start, not with what you're going to do for God in 2020. He's not really interested in that. He's primarily interested in you and your character and the development and your integrity and the kind of person that you are. He's really interested in you. And so how do we start with a relationship with God? Well, we get to know his son, Jesus. How do we know what God is like? Like, we can't see God, right? We get to know Jesus, who is revealed to us on this earth and through his word. We get to know Jesus. And that's what we're going to do this entire year. Again, our theme, all eyes on Jesus. So what we're going to do, get this, okay? For the next 12 months, the entire year, we're going to spend in just four books of the Bible, okay? The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's where we're going to hang out the whole year. So put on your, your high waiter boots because we're going to go deep, okay? We're not going to skim across the surface. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels. They're the four different vantage points and views of Jesus' time when he walked this earth. And we're going to get it from different perspectives. And so our deepest prayer is that you will experience the person of Jesus in a way that you never have before. So regardless of where you're at with him, some of you that are here this morning, maybe you don't know Jesus. Honestly, you're like, I've heard about it and I got drug here to church today, but I, don't, I wouldn't say that I have a daily relationship with Jesus. I'm really excited to introduce him to you. I think you're going to like him a lot. For some of you, maybe you've uh, drifted away from Jesus. You've drifted away from the church a little bit. And if this is your first time back, welcome. There's no guilt. There's no shame. We're so glad that you're here. For some of you, you're like, John, oh man, 12 months in the Gospels, like, I've done the Bible studies, like, I've done the DVD studies, I've got it, I've been in the small groups, I've studied, I think I kind of know the Gospels and everything, I think I know they're everything, everything there is to know. With all due respect, that's just not possible, okay? Because there's always more with God. There's always more with God as we put all eyes on him. And the best news of all is this, Jesus wants to be found by you. He wants to be known by you. In Matthew, that we're going to look at today, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. He's right there. Jesus is closer to you today than the person sitting next to you. By the way, we have to kind of cram the chairs in here to get everybody in. If somebody is kind of getting a little close, just give them a friendly Christian elbow right now. Just say, hey, get out of my space a little bit. It's okay. We're all friends here, right? He's close to you. He's close to you. All eyes on Jesus. He wants you to know him. And so at the beginning of this year, I want to give you a challenge that I gave a young man uh, several years ago. I was speaking at a campus ministry event, ironically at Drake, which is in the neighborhood where we're moving to, uh, speaking at a college ministry event uh, over there. And I gave the talk, and this young man, uh, probably 19, 20 years old, came up to me afterwards, and we got to talking, and he said, John, I grew up atheist. Like, my family didn't go to church. This is all very new for me. Like, my friends just brought me here tonight. I don't really know why I'm here. But he, he asked this with the, the most 
genuine authenticity that I've seen. He just said, so how do I know if this Jesus is real? Like, you all talk about him like he's just walking in, like he's sitting right here today. Like, how, how do I know that he's real? Like, that he is who he says he is. And so I was all ready to go into, like, this big, you know, pastor theological, oh, there's the Trinity, and you see it, and I just stopped, and I went, you know what? I'm going to let the Holy Spirit take this one. By the way, if you're in a conversation, parents, spouses, with your friend and your small group, with a coworker, whatever it is, sometimes it's good to just stop and ask God if he would rather speak on your behalf because the Holy Spirit's way better at being the Holy Spirit than you are, okay? We don't need any junior varsity Holy Spirits walking around, okay? <laughs> so that's what, I, that's what I did in this moment. I'm like, okay, I don't think what he needs right now is a theological dissertation for my seminary days, okay? I think he needs Jesus, and so I said, hey, brother, can I just give you a challenge? In fact, I dare you to do this. I said, get yourself a really good Bible. Probably the NLT because it's a little bit easier to read. Get yourself a really good Bible. And I said, for the next 30 days, for the next month, there's nothing magical about that. Just it helps to have form habits. Meet with Jesus and read, pick one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and read it every single day for a month and pray this simple prayer. Jesus, make yourself real to me. And I trust that the Holy Spirit's going to do something pretty amazing. He said, that's it? I'm like, yeah, that's it. Because Jesus is just that awesome. And he's just that powerful. And he's going to answer that prayer. And I want to extend that challenge. I dare you. You, all of you, I dare you in 2020, start reading one of the Gospels. We're going to start in Matthew. Start there. Start in John. Start wherever you want. And say, Jesus, I want to meet you. I want to experience you in a way never have before. So some tips for you to get to know Jesus, get a really good study Bible. NIV or NLT is what we use here uh, in church. Start a reading or a listening plan. If you don't have the version Bible app on your phone, I would encourage you to. I don't encourage you to use your smartphone, but if you're going to have the Bible with you 24-7, that's a really good use for it. The version Bible, it will read the Bible to you. You just hit the audio thing, and you drive into your car, getting ready in the morning. Have scripture soaking you. Start a Bible reading plan. Start a, a listening plan. Meet with Jesus daily. And then lastly, do it with other people. If all you do is read the Bible by yourself, that's great, but you are missing out on what God wants to say to you through other people. The Bible was meant to be read and discussed in community. Do it with other people. Men's ministry, women's ministry, alpha, get in a small group. Men's, women's, couples, all of them, get connected and do it with other people and say that simple prayer. Jesus, make yourself real to me. Make yourself real to me. I was thinking about this and, and the importance of getting to know Jesus, how we get to know other people. I remember when I was dating uh, my wife, Tiffany. By the way, if you're dating or uh, if you're married, this is free relationship advice, so you can, uh, this is free uh, for you, you can take this. When I was dating um, Tiffany, I, I had this idea. I was really romantic. <clears throat> I don't know what happened, but I, I had this idea uh, I had this journal, and I entitled it the All About Tiffany Journal. And this is what I did, because we got to see each other may once, maybe twice a week when we were dating, and it was the All About Tiffany Journal. And so I would pre-prepare questions to ask her. So, like, big questions, like, what are your hopes and your dreams and your, your dream vacation? What do you want to be when you grow up? You know, all these things, down to, like, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite music? You know, all that sort of stuff. And I would prepare them, and then when I would meet with her, I would ask her these things. I was thinking back on this the other day, I'm like, why did I do that? because I had so much passion to get to know her. 
Like, it wasn't just like, oh, what are we going to do for a date tonight? It was like, I want to know your soul. I want to know your heart. I want to explore the, the depths of your heart. I want to know who you are. I was fascinated. I still am. I'm still figuring her out, right? Ten years later, right? We never quite figure out each other. But I'm still exploring who she is, and I'm passionate about that. I was, I'm fascinated with her, and I still am. Oh, that it would be that way in a much bigger sense with getting to know Jesus, that reading your Bible would not... Let's, let's just move on from, do I have to read my Bible? What? You get to talk to the God of the universe anytime you want. And he is speaking to you. This isn't a history book that's collecting dust on the shelf. This is God's living word that he wants to speak to you every single day. You can have a conversation with him. It's not a gotta, it's a gitta. You get to read the Bible. What an incredible opportunity. God wants to speak to you. I pray that you would be fascinated with him to the point where when you go into your devotion time or your Bible, oh, Jesus, I've missed you. The same way you would if you were dating or getting together, somebody that you love that you haven't seen for a long time. Oh, I've been looking forward to hanging out with you. And you know what? Jesus says the same thing to you. Man, I've been waiting. I know you've had a really busy week. I've really been waiting to hang out with you too. I love spending time with you. Be with Jesus in 2020 and watch the Holy Spirit work. And so we're going to start, we're going to do that. We're going to jump in right today and we're going to talk about the Gospel of Matthew. Because like I said, we're going to hang out in Matthew for the next three months. So that should be your Bible reading plan. And today, this is kind of the, the syllabus sermon. So I'm going to give you kind of the overview of where we're going to go as we read the Gospel of Matthew. So just some quick facts on Matthew to get you started. This is why you need a good study Bible. Because it's going to give you some of this background information instead of just jumping into the Bible. Anybody ever tried to read the Bible from the, from the beginning? Like, I'm going to read the whole Bible. And then you got to Leviticus, and you're like, I hate my life right now. I can't. <laughs> this is terrible, right? Don't do that, okay? I love the whole Bible, but please don't start with Leviticus, okay? Start with John. Start with Matthew. Start with one of the Gospels, okay? So Matthew. What do we know about Matthew, okay? It was written by Matthew, formerly known as Levi. He was a tax collector that Jesus called to follow him. Okay, Matthew was one of the synoptic Gospels. What does that mean? Everybody say synoptic. Synoptic, just a fancy word for similar, okay? So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic gospels, meaning they all kind of borrow from the same sources and kind of from each other a little bit. Mark was the first gospel written, and Matthew and Luke sort of borrow some of their themes and stories and ideas from Mark. Those are three other synoptic gospels. And then John, still canon, still God's word. John's just a little different, okay? He kind of goes off on his own. He's kind of poetic and flower. He's like, John, John would fit really well in the 70s. So the way that he, he's like, in the beginning was the word, dude. And the word was with God, man, and it was awesome. Like John's just very kind of poetic and laid back. He just kind of writes in a different way than Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, do. But Matthew is very, very focused on connecting the Old Testament to the new. And because Matthew borrows from Mark, uh, scholars believe that Matthew was probably written in the 70s or 80s. AD. And who's he writing to? His primary audience is Jewish Christians. So people that have grown up following Yahweh, following God in, in a Jewish sense, and now they've met Jesus and are following him. And the purpose is to show that Jesus is the one. Okay. So back to when I was dating Tiffany, I, all my friends asked me, John, so do you think that she's the one? Right? We talk about that a lot. Are you the one, the chosen one, right? And that's the purpose of Matthew as well. He's saying, Jesus is the one that you've been waiting for. He's the one that's the fulfillment 
of all these prophecies. So as you're reading Matthew, okay, it would be really good if you read a little bit of the Old Testament as well, because Matthew is going to point back with signs and symbolism back to the Old Testament to show these, his Jewish audience, this God you've been worshiping this whole time is Jesus, and he's the fulfillment. He's the Messiah. He's the one that was promised to come. And he's going to do this in four main ways and four key ideas or themes, and this is how we're going to read Matthew over the next three months. So we're not exactly chronological, but based on themes, okay? So Matthew 3 and 4 that we're focusing on starting today is that Jesus is divine, that he's God, and then we're going to go through Matthew 8 through 15, Jesus as a miracle worker, that clearly he's God because he's doing things that cannot be explained, and then we're going to kind of go back to Matthew 5 and 6 and talk about Jesus as teacher and preacher as the fulfillment of the law. And finally, Matthew 21 through 28, as we lead into Lent and Holy Week to talk about Jesus as Savior. And so again, Matthew is primarily answering the question, is Jesus the one? Yes, he is. And this is why that matters today. I think that some of us want Jesus to just be our buddy. To be honest, the way that we live our lives, I think some of us want Jesus to come on our terms rather than his terms. We just want Jesus to be one more voice in the sea of opinions and voices all around us. But here's what I love about Matthew, what he's going to remind us. Don't forget, he's God. Who calls the shots for you? Who's the director of your life? Jesus is the one. He's God, and he's going to challenge you at times. If you read your Bible and you're never challenged, you're probably not reading it correctly. Like Jesus is, not intentionally, but Jesus is probably going to offend you sometimes. Because that's what the Bible does. It corrects us. It gets us back on the right path. And as you read the Gospels this year, you're going to be reading along and you're going to go, ooh, I don't like that. <laughs> that rubs me the wrong way. And it's probably because there's an area of your life that Jesus is poking at a little bit because he wants access to all of you. He wants all of you. And that's where Matthew starts his Gospel. He's like, I want to I invite you into a new life. If you're going a different direction, I want you to stop I want you to turn around and turn back to Jesus. And there's a fancy biblical word for that, and it's repent. Everybody say repent. Repent Repent probably doesn't mean what you think it means, right? When some of you hear repent, you're thinking of the guy with the blowhorn, you know, down at the farmer's market, like, turn or burn, right? That whole thing. That is not what we're talking about at all. Repent has a much bigger meaning than that. And we're going to unpack that together. So if you have your Bibles, look at Matthew chapter 3. Let's just camp out there for a second. Matthew chapter 3, okay? Matthew 3, right before Jesus arrives on the scene, the reason we're skipping Matthew 1 and 2 is we kind of did that the last month. It's called Christmas, okay? Jesus was born, okay? Now he grows up, boom, we're ready. He's 30, and he's ready to start his ministry, and we read this. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent. Everybody say repent. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. So again, here's Matthew pointing where? the Old Testament, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight the paths for him. So John's job is to get us ready to meet Jesus. Just like if you've gone to a show or a concert or like a a rock concert or something like that, if you're going to go see U2 and the concert starts at 7, you're probably not going to see U2 at 7, right? There's an opening act, right? Somebody to get you ready, and that's John's job. He's the opening act for the main attraction, which is Jesus, to meet Jesus, which is our goal for 2020. So what's the first step into meeting Jesus, it's to repent. It's to repent. And a really easy way of thinking about repentance and turning around is if my life's headed a direction and it's not in connection and alignment with Jesus, 
Repenting means to turn around and start living a brand new way, to do a 180 and go a completely different direction. Jesus says to you, as you begin a new year, stop wandering around and looking for life everywhere else. Turn around and come back. Turn around, come in, turn around and come back and come back home. I had a firsthand experience with needing to turn around and with this idea of repentance uh, this past week. Uh, last week, it was late one night. Uh, we were on Christmas break, so my bedtimes were all shot, and we're staying up late, and the kids are finally in bed, and so it's like, p- young parents, you know that line, all is calm, all is bright, right? You know that, okay? That's, that was our house at this time. I'm like, great, and I looked over at Tiffany, and I said, I'm doing it. Tonight's the night. I'm gonna go for it. She's like, what? What are you gonna do? And I go, I'm going to Star Wars. It's time. I put it off long enough. I'm going to go. I'm going to go by myself. And like the last showing of the night started at 9.50. Like this is past my bedtime. I got it. But I'm going to go. I've been putting it off long enough. So I go to the theater and I kind of sneak in. It's a little late and it's already dark. So the previews have started. And the only other people in the movie theater are three other high school boys. And they are like, they have no idea I'm there because I'm sitting by myself up in the top row. And I'm like, I had my my beard that I grew over Christmas and I've got my baseball cap on and my hooded sweatshirt. So I'm kind of, you know, pastor undercover sneaking in there. They don't know that I'm there, and they are like Star Wars nerds and geeks, and like every other scene in the movie, they're like, oh yeah, you know, because that's what high school boys do, I guess. Yeah, that was awesome, so cool, Star Wars, Ah," you know, the whole thing, and so I wait like halfway through the movie. I'm just like, my heart's pounding. I'm like, should I do it? Yeah, I should do it, and then when the lightsaber fight came on, it was quiet, and they hadn't yelled yet, and from the top row, I go, yeah, Star Wars, and they all went like this, like, they had no idea that I was there. I'm like, hey, guys, just be in your pastor chaperone for the night here, okay? That has nothing to do with the sermon. That was just for fun. So I did that. The movie was great, and this is where it all started to go downhill. When you go to a late movie in a theater that's connected to a mall, the mall closes at a certain time of night. Do you know this? And so there you are, and I walk out of the movie theater, back to the mall to get to the entrance where I parked, because I wasn't thinking, and I walk out, it's like, gate, gate, gate. I'm covering, like, I am going to sleep in Merle Hay Mall tonight. Like, I am stuck. I'm going to be here the whole, I, I don't know how to get out. And there's, like, this one tiny little single door that I guess you have to go out the side. So I'm like, okay, well, I guess i find my car somewhere. And I walk out, and I'm like, oh, no. Like, I just have a sweatshirt on. Because when I went in, it was, like, a balmy 55 degrees. And then during the movie, it kind of started to do that snow, rain, sleet, slush, blech thing outside. And the wind had picked up, and it was, it was cold. And I walk out. And there's like no cars in the park. I mean, I'm there. I'm like the last one that I'm shutting the place down. And I walk out and I'm like, this isn't at all where I parked. Like, I have no idea. There's a Target. Like, where did, where did that come from? Like, I have no idea where I am. And I realized I'm on the complete other side of the entire mall complex. Like, I have no idea where I am. And it is cold. And I, got, I have no hat, no gloves, no, no coat, no anything. And so I'm, like, wandering around. I've got my, 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 my uh, hood on with my, my cap. And I've got, like, shoved up like this. And I'm, like, bouncing through. And I'm like, this is it. I am going to die in the Merle Hay parking lot. I never, I never thought that this is how it was going to end, but it's a good way to go out. At least I finished up the Star Wars trilogy. So here I am, and, and, and this is an actual picture of me out in the parking lot. I barely made it. Um, maybe I was just thinking about Star Wars, but I, I, I barely made it. And like I'm wandering around out in this parking lot, and this is literally what's going through my mind. John, what are you doing? I may have thought some other words in my head, but I said, John, what are you doing? What are you doing out here? You're alone. 
You could have asked for help. And the problem with that is that when I left the movie theater, I heard click behind me and the door locked behind me. So I literally walked around the entire block of the mall out there. And I'm wandering around alone, confused, without a sense of purpose or direction. I have no idea where I'm going. And I tell you that to tell you this. Some of you are there today. Some of you are living your life in such a way that you are wandering. You are lost. You're confused. You have no clear sense of purpose. You're not prepared for the storm of life that you're caught in. You're overwhelmed. You're distracted. You're discouraged. You're lost. You're confused. You're in need of direction. You're overwhelmed with your sin, with your past. So what do we do? Keep wandering around and try to figure it out? Are you going to stop and turn around and repent. The Greek word here for repent is metanoia. Everybody say metanoia. Metanoia literally means to change your mind, to think differently. Repent is so much bigger than, God, I'm really sorry about what I did in the past. I'll really try hard not to do that again. That's not repentance. Repentance is my life is headed this way. I'm going to change my mind, metanoia. I'm going to think differently, and I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to live a whole new way. Jesus, I want you to reorient my life. I need to head in a new direction if I'm going to get to where you're calling me to go. And I'm not saying this just to people like, oh, you know, this is for all the people that don't know Jesus. No, we all get lost sometimes, don't we? And we find ourselves wandering around in an empty parking lot at night in the cold by ourselves, wondering where are we going by the way that we live our lives. Some people would say, oh, John, you just don't get it. You see, I'm just a naturally busy person. I got a lot going on. Busy, busy, busy. Go, go, go. Pack schedule. I actually like it that way. Lots of busyness. My my calendar's packed. I just got to go, go, go. And I've heard people say, this is just who I am. And I want to respond, okay, how's your soul? Is that good for your soul? Is that what God's called you to do? Or is that just what you've always done? When are you going to get off the treadmill? (laughs) When are you going to put your eyes back on Jesus? Other people might say, John, no, it's just a season of life that we're in right now. We've got a lot going on with with work and the kids and working on the house and working out and my my hobbies and all these other things I got going on. I just don't have time for, for worship weekly. I can't really do that. I don't think anybody really worships weekly anymore. I mean, who does that? And I don't have time for a small group or, or community or serving. Or, I just got a lot going on right now. And I just want to say, how's that going for you? And why are you still so dissatisfied? Why are you still not filled up? Because it's all about you. You'll never, you'll never be satisfied if everything that you've got going on in your life is for your self-betterment. How long have you been running? How long have you been wandering? Maybe at the start of a new year, it's time to stop and turn around and come home, Jesus says, and let me reorient your life. Nobody understands what it's like to run for a long time without any sense of purpose or direction than our friend, Forrest, Forrest Gump who ran for such a long time, he's got the best beard in the history of movies. And he has been running for so long that he finally gets to the point where he says, I am really, really tired. And sometimes when you've been running away from Jesus for a really long time, it can be exhausting. And that's what Forrest realizes one day. Take a look. When you're constantly running in life, and you have no idea why, it can be so exhausting, can't it? Not just for Forrest, but I mean, he, he stopped, he turned around, and he came back home. 
Step one in following Jesus in 2020. If you're not walking in alignment with Jesus, stop, turn around, and go back. Come home. Go back to the basics. And what are those? The basics that God's people have been doing for hundreds and thousands of years. It's not the newest, latest, hippest, trendy advice that I can give you today. It's the same thing that follower of Jesus have been doing, a long obedience in the same direction for thousands of years. And you walk past these words every weekend when you walk through the lobby and when you exit. It's to connect, it's to grow, and it's to serve. And these aren't some cute little tagline we came up with. This is, if you read the Gospels, this is what followers of Jesus do. We connect with each other, we grow, we're constantly growing, and we serve. That's what it means to be the church. So first of all, connect. The church is first and foremost a family. You know that, right? Weekend worship, church isn't a, it's not an event that you attend when you have time or once in a while. Church is a family that you commit to, that you commit to. Time to plug in, time to let God and other people pour into you. And if you're like, oh, it's too big and I can't meet people, join a life group. Get connected in some kind of a group. See, here's the thing. Everybody wants community. Nobody wants to make the time for it. You know, like superpower is focus. I think a superpower these days is anybody that's willing to give you the time of day. I've never met a person that doesn't like to be listened to, that doesn't like to be known. Some of you are craving that. It's time to join a life group. It's time to take Alpha and get connected. Speaking of Alpha, the next area is to grow. God has called you to grow. I didn't think about growth during the winter a lot, but you know when grass is forming its deep roots is right now in the winter, below the surface, to put your roots down deep. And there's no better way to put your roots down deep than finding a church home, than saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stop floating. I'm going to stop, you know, helicopter church where I kind of come in and then I just kind of go back out and I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there. I'm going to come when I feel like it and just kind of pop in and then disappear and not really be known. That doesn't fill you up at all. That's not what God created the church to be. So come and plug in and get connected right after the service at new member class today. Take the next step. What's your plan to grow this year? The quickest way to fail is to not have a plan. <laughs> Do you want to be the same person at the end of 2020? Or are you going to make an intentional plan? Start a Bible reading plan. Take Alpha. Take financial peace. Start coming to Revive on Tuesday nights if you're a young adult. Get connected in community. Get a Bible. Start reading it with others. Connect, grow, and finally serve. Do you want to know the people that have the most joy here at Hope? It's the people that are wearing those highly fashionable blue hospitality shirts that you see around. Most of which, by the way, praise God today, are our students. How cool is that? Our student ministry leading the way in serving. Praise God, setting an example. The people with the most joy at Hope serve. When are you going to do something bigger than you? Make a resolution that's about serving somebody other than yourself this year and you'll find how you get filled up. And I know it's easy to look at that list and say, here's all these things I gotta do for God. I gotta connect, I gotta grow, I gotta serve, I gotta make all these resolutions and these goals and all these ways I'm trying to be a better Christian, John. I'm just trying to put one foot in front of the other and kind of learn how to do this and it's hard and it's frustrating and I get that. And as you pursue God this year, remember this. Victory isn't always what you conquer later. Victory is being faithful and obedient today. Some of you are really discouraged in your walk with God, and you need to hear that. 
Your job is to be faithful and obedient to what God's called you to do today, to put one foot in front of the other. And unfortunately, this time of year brings out so much guilt, especially in Christians. It's like being a Christian just gives you more things to feel guilty about. But that's not the gospel. And that's not how God, our Father, sees us. I've told you this before, but nothing has allowed me to understand God's love more than being a dad myself, to being a father. And this memory popped into my head this week. I remember when we were, uh, our oldest son, Caleb, who's six now, was first learning how to walk. And remember, parents, remember all the baby fat and all the jiggles in that stage of life? And he was learning how to walk. And I remember we knew he was ready because he would put his hand on the side of the couch and then he would just bounce. And everything on his body would just jiggle. Everything would jiggle. All the baby fat and all the drool would just run down. And he was like, I'm ready. He was like gearing up, like I'm ready to walk. And remember the day we like had our phones around us all the time, just like when's going to be the moment he's going to start walking. He puts one foot in front of the other. And I remember this, like he wasn't planning on it, but his weight just kind of leaned forward. He's an Anansen, so he's got a huge head and it just kind of carried his, his momentum forward and his body and just kind of all kept going forward and just face planted right there. And he like took one step and we're like, whoa, buddy you did it. This is awesome. We're so excited. And we're like, this is like winning an Olympic medal or something. Like you took a step and I guarantee that's not the way he saw himself. He probably thought I'm a complete failure. I'm laying face down on the floor covered in my own saliva, right? Like we love you, buddy. You're doing such a great job. And what do we do? We didn't guilt him. We didn't shame him. We picked him right back up, gave him a slap on the butt and say, do it again. Try it again, buddy. You can do it. And little by little, he'd get the hang of it, and he'd fall down, and he'd get back up, and he'd fall down, and he'd get back, and take two steps, then four steps, then five, you know, little bit at a time. And every single time, we weren't condemning him, we weren't ridiculing him, we weren't putting on more guilt and shame. We said, come on, buddy, you can do it. We're so proud of you. You're putting one foot in front of the other, and you're taking those steps. And since uh, both of our kids have learned uh, to walk, I've seen other parents particularly talk to dads about this, and I've never met a dad that when their child is learning how to walk and they're going step, 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 crash, mom, face plant, mess up, screw up, whatever it is, I've never met a dad that stares over their kid falling on the floor going, oh, geez, you really got to get this figured out. Like, I can't believe, like, this is terrible. You have got to figure, when are you going to get this figured out? I can't believe it, right? No, we rejoice in the process. And some of you need to hear that because you are so frustrated with your lack of growth and development. You want to know Jesus more. You want to have a better marriage. You want to get along with your kids better, whatever it is. And you feel like you're taking two steps and then you're falling down and getting back up. And Jesus rejoices in that. With how much joy as an imperfect father that I have, can you imagine what our heavenly father feels like as he watches us, his sons and daughters, learn how to walk through this life with him? I mean, can you imagine heaven? He's like, angels, everybody, come on, look, my son or daughter, they're doing it. They're doing daily devotion, but they're, they're reading the Bible together as a couple. They signed up for Alpha, woo! I'm sure that's what he's talking about in heaven. They're so excited. They're like, they're doing it. They're getting their budget in line with God's priorities. They're figuring it out. Oh, they had a tough week. They had a tough month. Get back up. I still love you. I'm still proud of you. Put your eyes on me. And then it clicked. That's why Caleb fell. Was the moment that he took his eyes off his dad when he put his eyes on himself and his own performance and he put his eyes on the fear that's surrounding him in the room is when he fell. And Jesus says, all eyes on me in 2020. 
all eyes on me. Stop looking at you, look at me. Don't look at you, look at me. Don't look at you, look at me. Keep your eyes fixed on me. And God says to you this morning, I don't love some future version of you. I love you right now. Incomplete with all your imperfections and all of your weaknesses and all of your mistakes from the past. I don't love some future version of you. I love the version of you right now here today that's putting one foot in front of the other, learning how to walk with Jesus. That's how you start a relationship with God, is basing it not on your performance, but on his love for you. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together as we prepare our hearts for Holy Communion.